Welcome to Legend Lore, second edition, where we talk about Pathfinder second edition. I'm Jess. I'm a tabletop role-playing game freelancer and frequent contributor to the Pathfinder and Starfinder games. I've been playing tabletop and live-action role-playing games for a little over 20 years, and I've worked in the industry for five, writing for two dozens of Paizo products. I played Zirani, the Azimar Druid, on the Valiant Actual Play podcast, and am a cast member of the Tavern Rats podcast, a new Pathfinder 2 actual play show we're putting together for the No Direction Network. And I'm Lauren. I've been playing RPGs for 20 years. I've contributed to multiple Pathfinder blogs and podcasts, and I'm currently a, <clears throat> as of last week, officially, 100% officially, I'm currently a PhD student in the field of animal intelligence. I'd been saying it for a while, but it was it was actually up in the air. It was always in the plan, but the paperwork went through. It's finally official. And this week, we're converting 5th edition characters. Because Pathfinder 2 is under the spotlight right now, we highlighted some of the similarities and differences between the character classes of D&D 5th edition and Pathfinder 2nd edition in our last episode. Then we asked on Twitter for some fan submissions of your 5th edition D&D characters that we could convert into Pathfinder 2. We received a lot of responses. Today we'll be presenting PF2 versions of some of our favorite submissions. Now before we dig right in, I do want to talk about some of the caveats of converting characters from 5th edition into 2nd edition Pathfinder. Pathfinder is a very broad system. Uh, it's very modular. You can pretty much build your character like you would Lego blocks. But the, So we can build almost anything. In fact, I think we're going to demonstrate that pretty well, but the conversions aren't necessarily going to be one-to-one. -one. You're not going to have the same scaling of sneak attack, or you might have an ability that works the same, but it's not called the same, or you might even just have to take a few concepts and say, yeah, these are close enough. Really what we're going to be working with is is breaking down your character's from 5e into concepts and trying to make sure that all of those concepts get fulfilled in the Pathfinder 2nd Edition characters. And I think a lot of times we're going to get similar mechanics, but not always. It won't be one-to-one. -one. We should also probably talk about uh, the way that archetypes and multi-classing work in Pathfinder 2 uh, so that you know, you'll have a better idea of what you can expect when the conversions that we are doing are characters that have archetypes or who have multi-class archetypes. For a lot of character concepts in D&D 5th edition, archetypes might be necessary to translate them out of D&D and into Pathfinder 2. This is going to be true of all multi-class characters, because archetypes are the way that multi-classing is done in Pathfinder 2. But it might also be true for some of the D&D subclasses. For example, in 5th edition, the Arcane Archer is a fighter subclass, whereas in Pathfinder 2, it's an archetype. And that means that any class who can hit the prerequisites for Arcane Archer can become Arcane Archer, which I always thought was really cool. So there's a couple different kinds of archetypes in Pathfinder 2. First, we have the archetypes that are for multi-classing into base classes. So this will be like the fighter archetype, the rogue archetype, or the wizard archetype. There's one of these for every base class. We also have all the prestige classes that used to be kind of hard to get into and like you need to get to level six. And then if you have these feats and this base attack and these skill feats, you can get into this prestige class. A lot of those have been 
I'm going to say, I'm not going to say watered down. I'm going to say started lower. They'll start at like second level now and they're a little bit easier to get into. And then you build them into the cool thing. We also have archetypes that kind of follow specific themes like an acrobat or a gladiator or a medic or longtime listeners of legend lore might be quite familiar with the Viking archetype. And then lastly, we have archetypes that are tied to specific aspects of the Pathfinder 2 lore. These are like the Hell Knights, the Magic Warriors, the Rune Lords, and the Students of Perfection. These are archetypes that are tailored to in-world organizations. Now, one thing I want to mention about these multi-class archetypes or archetypes in general this is, I think, probably the biggest difference is that in older editions of these Roll20 games or these D20 games, you would pick a character or a character class, like Fighter. You'd love Fighter 4 and then no more. So you'd level up to Fighter 4 and then you'd pick something else. You'd start leveling that instead. So by level 20, you're level 4 Fighter, level 16 something else. Those days are gone in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Now, the class you pick is the class you are from 1 to 20. But you then add in or switch out some of your abilities for other abilities from these archetypes to kind of season to taste. The main takeaway from this is that if you pick a fighter, you will always be quote-unquote full base attack bonus. We don't have base attack bonus in here. It's it's different. But you will always be that nice fighter two-hit modifier. If you pick a wizard and you multi-class like crazy, get all the dedications you can, you will still hit 10th level spells on par with the person who took a wizard and only took wizard feats from there on out. This makes it a lot easier to multi-class as a spellcaster because you can choose to switch out one of your class feats from your wizard class or your sorcerer class or your cleric class and pick up the features of a different class without sacrificing any of your spellcasting. So I really feel like playing multi-class characters in 2e is kind of more intuitive. You don't necessarily... I used to feel like I am fighter four and then this. I used to feel like my character is this percentage fighter and this percentage like sorcerer, right? But because of the modular system, because I like to describe this system almost like Lego bricks where you, you, know, you build your character. And when you look at a, at a completed Lego thing, right? If, if you buy like a Lego X-Wing and you build it out of things, it looks like an X-Wing. You don't see this is 25% this type of brick, or at least not usually, right? Like it, it, it is like this one homogenous concept. And I feel like that's what we hit here in Pathfinder, where your characters feel like characters more than they feel like the collection of systems that went in to make them. Or maybe that's just me. I really like the way that multiclassing is implemented in Pathfinder 2. It took me a little bit to warm up to it because I'm so accustomed to having to do stuff like uh, like I'm going to be Rogue 16 Fighter 4, right? Like I'm, I'm so used to doing that stuff from 3rd edition and from Pathfinder 1 that at first I was hesitant about like how is this going to work? Am I actually really even multiclass anymore? But in practice, it feels a lot better to create and play the character that is created with the archetypes. And this really gives me... Jess, I have an anecdote for this. Yeah. Because there's a character... My favorite character. Uh, also, long-time listeners of Legend Lore might, re might remember my favorite character I've ever made. I made a... In Pathfinder 1st Edition, 
I made a, I think I was a blood rager, but of like ancestors. And so I was a, a half Valkyrie, like Viking warrior priestess. And, and you know, I, I would summon summon the spirits of, of the dead that I've collected, my Ein Harry R. And I never, I, I never really got to play that character in Pathfinder. I, I met some friends in my undergrad university. We started a fifth edition game. And so I tried to remake this character, Seafrun, in fifth edition. We settled on, I started Fighter 1 and then went Cleric for the rest. And with a sword and a board and Viking or Valkyrie powers and lightning stuff. And it was very difficult. It got to the point where the GM was like, look, this combination of fighter one and then cleric so that you can be a martial cleric. He's like, this doesn't work. Look, just he, he politely uh, forced me to take to switch to paladin and then just homebrewed like all of my like, like spells and stuff so that they would be more of the Valkyrie theme. But this is where I like how it, we do it in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. It's so modular that Seafruin is very easy to build. Uh, at first level, I take the Magus class. At second level, I pick the champion archetype. I'm done. My whole character concept is fulfilled in two levels right there. And because of the way the system works, you kind of can't mess it up. You pick any two combinations of things or three combinations, it's kind of going to work. And so Sivrun actually works as a Magus champion in second edition really well. I have an example of a character of mine who works better in Pathfinder second edition as well. This isn't a character that I played in D&D 5th edition, but it is a character that I played in D&D 3rd edition, specifically on Neverwinter Nights. Uh, oh my god, I love that game. Yeah, oh, I was addicted. Uh, so this was Lilith Aelorothy, who you can tell by her name is one of the Fae who are like the elf tieflings of the Forgotten Realms. So like, right out the gate in D&D 3rd edition or in 5th edition or whatever, I had to have this like wacky niche uh, race for my character. Whereas in Pathfinder 2, I'm just an elf who is also a tiefling. Like it's easy. But this character. So for your first level, you know, if you're going to multi-class rogue, it has to be your first level. Otherwise you're leaving all of those skill points on the floor, right? Oh yeah. No, you got to get, you got to get those skill points. Yeah. So she starts off as a rogue to get all of those juicy skill points. Uh, and then... Uh, she's a sorcerer, but, you know, you have to be strategic about when you take your rogue levels and like on, ne on Neverwinter Nights, you could like strategically conserve skill points from your sorcerer levels to spend them later. Like they would just stay unspent on your character. So you could like cheese it and spend them on your, on your rogue levels as you leveled up so that you wouldn't have the, the penalty to your maximum rank in your in your rogue skills so i did that to boost up like my stealth skill and my performance skill so i could meet the prerequisites for shadow dancer so that i could be a rogue sorcerer shadow dancer and because neverwinter nights allows for epic levels this build eventually came online around like level 24 or something oh my when god when i finally <laughs> got access to seventh level sorcerer spells and i could cast finger of death and then i was just a nuisance because i had such a high stealth i could hide in plain sight i could like i'd be i'd be hidden i would cast finger of death and then i would go right back into stealth it was oh but, like, I was level 24 by that point. Other people had epic level spells. I was just going around with, like, I finally got Finger of Death, guys. 
for for you, like everybody else is casting like these major mm-hmm. like cataclysmic mm-hmm. city destroying spells, mm-hmm. and you've got range stink touch. Yeah. But I can hide after, and I'm real good at it. That's, Nobody can see that's me. That's right. <laughs> but in Pathfinder 2, this character comes together so much easier, right? Like, first of all, I'm just an elf with the tiefling ancestry. That's easy peasy. And then uh, I don't even need to take Shadow Dancer. I can just be the Shadow Sorcerer Bloodline. And I can pick up shadowy, spooky abilities from that. And then I can take the rogue archetype on whatever levels where I don't particularly feel like having one of my sorcerer feats. And like I, I could take Shadow Dancer, the archetype, later on if I wanted, but it's not as essential to getting the kind of like a shadow teleport hiding abilities as it was for like the third edition version of this character. So what level does this character in 2E get, get stink of finger? Oh, oh my God. Oh, what? <laughs> get finger of death. Finger of death. <laughs> I mean, we don't really have the, the save or suck spells in the same way in Pathfinder 2. Yeah. It's not... So, like, the, the vibe of that, of just going around being a nuisance with necromancy and just, I could be anywhere and I could cast finger of death at any time and nobody knows where I... Like, that. the vibe is similar, but it's not, like, exact just because of the way that the saver suck spells have rightfully yeah. been changed. It does. It did suck for me a lot when I would cast my finger of death. It wouldn't work, and I'd just be like, "Well, I have no other tricks. I'm just gonna stay <laughs> in was, stealth. Everybody else deal with it." That was my one thing. That was my one but thing. now, but now since your sorcerer is base mm-hmm. class, right? You mm-hmm. always have like the highest, you know, yeah. mo- most most deathly version of the finger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No matter what level I am, I have access to the highest level of spells for my level. So I'm no longer like, because I have uh, these ridiculous rogue levels to get my stealth skill high enough because of that uh, restriction on how you could spend skill points in third edition. Because my my, uh, my rogue level is no longer tanking down what spells I can cast. It, it really makes this character, uh, I'm just going to say, viable to play. <laughs> Nice, nice. And and that's what I like about this is because we can take these concepts that don't really make any sense. And in 2E, you can kind of make them make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to ruin your character. Like the character I'm currently playing here in our home game. uh, I am Captain Anastasia Kuznetsov, the iron unpleasant lady of the frozen north. She is a vampire pirate. The pirate queen as of recent events because she... Anyway, and originally her her class, she was a gunslinger with the champion archetype because she become became a champion of Besmara, the, pir- the goddess of pirates and of piracy. Uh, but later she kind of continued going down the path of degeneracy in Besmara's name. And, you know, some events happened and her two classes were switched. She went from a gunslinger with champion to a champion with gunslinger. And both of her forms forms work really well. It's really satisfying to play. Yeah, I also played uh, a character with a multi-class archetype on the Valiant podcast. Uh, Zidani actually was a druid who had the rogue archetype and a couple of rogue feats. Because uh, the the Valiant crew, there there wasn't a character who was like a full class rogue. Like Owen was playing a bard, which uh, his bard had a lot of skills. Bards are just happy rogues with song. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of 
if we were going into a dungeon and somebody needed to be disarming the traps and stuff, that was Yodani. And it was really satisfying to be able to pick up more skill training through my rogue archetype and certain rogue class feats that I might want, like the one, uh, the trap spotter she had. Uh, it was really nice to be able to take those without impeding what I was doing as a druid. I, like my, uh, my wild shape was still heightened to my full level. I still got all of my spells. I still had all of my druid stuff. I just had the option to, on levels where maybe I wasn't vibing with the options for the druid feats, I could take a rogue feat instead. So we've just discussed a lot of multi-classing, multi-classing, multi-classing. When the whole point of this episode of Legend Lore is that we convert characters from 5e to 2e. And so the reason we're talking about all of this multi-classing is because multi-classing is kind of how we do things these days, right? That's kind of how 2e works. Is so you can build exactly the character you want. And so that's why we're going to be looking at a lot of multi-class options in these character conversions. And so the first one I'm going to get into is from user Requirement Guru, who posted this. Aarakocra Ranger, 10. Colossus Slayer, faction background, green circle, can't remember the name, but it's the druid one. Archery Path, feet, sharpshooter. So that's what I have to go on. For this one, Jess. That's what I have to go on. That's a lot of nouns. <laughs> it's a lot of nouns. It's a lot of nouns. But that's okay. Yeah. As Pathfinders, we stand ready for nouns. <laughs> so we don't have specifically Aarakocra. That is something owned by, you know, Wizards of the Coast, I assume. I assume that is. Uh, but we do have things that are that are very close. And we can build the exact Aarakocra if you wanted to. Uh, now, you wouldn't have like a whole society of them out there unless that is what you wrote with your GM. Like, hey, you know, in, in the world, let, you know, here are the Erico. Anyway, here's the way I would build it. We do have Strix. That is an ancestry that already exists. Uh, these are kind of like people if they had bird feet and bird wings and like long droopy elf ears. Right. So we have that. And we also have the versatile heritage Beastkin. Now, Beastkin, I don't, it's not specifically said that Beastkin is for werefolk or for werewolves, but I think it's kind of implied uh, that you're like a natural werewolf or something. So we have the Eagle Beastkin, and you could take Strix and you take Eagle Beastkin, you smash them together, boom, Aarakocra. So we can easily get an Aarakocra like that. I'd say Strix, Eagle Beastkin. Colossus Slayer and Sharpshooter, though I think those are pretty well represented by the Precision Ranger, who really focuses on getting out one good big shot. And with Hunter's Aim, you make sure that you get a bonus for that big shot to hit. Uh, then you get that nice damage bonus. You can ignore concealment. Uh, Rangers with their Hunted Prey, can you can ignore range differences or range penalties. And just you, you can really make sure that you hit the shot that you need to hit to slay the Colossus. For your background of a faction, you know, we don't have Emerald Enclave. Uh, which I have the mission statement of the Emerald Enclave here. I had to do some research. I had to dig into this. Uh, to restore and preserve the natural order. Keep the elemental forces of the world in check. 
keep civilization and the wilderness from destroying one another and help others survive the perils of the wilderness. We really just have to find things that fit that. And I think that for background, the best one is going to be probably herbalist background and we'll play on it a bit more later because what an herbalist is going to do is they're out in the in the wilderness they're using what the wilderness has and they're using it to help people to heal people so i think the herbalist background is going to work work well for you with ranger you can take monster hunter and the warden ranger feats these will give you the ability to kind of give a bonus to your allies when you identify the Colossus that you're fighting or whatever it is that you're fighting. Uh, you can also get the Green Watch Initiate and the Green Watch Veteran. These are all things that just really help embody that Emerald Enclave mission. And one of the things that's interesting about this build is normally I'm just like free archetype, free archetype, free archetype all day. But for this, you actually don't need to. In fact, this whole build kind of comes together right at level one. You're already doing all the things that we want to do. If you have free archetype or if there's just some at every even level when you get a class feat, if you're just not crazy about any of them, you can easily pick up an archetype like the archer or the herbalist archetype because they just go even more into the both of those go even more into that thing. You can be more of the bow ranger. You can be more of the healing people with nature ranger or you can go something entirely new. You have a lot of room to play with this build so just season to taste that's really cool so just quick note just yeah. for you for me yeah. to you i don't want anyone else to hear this <laughs> i picked all the hardest ones i could find <laughs> i don't know why something about i i, I was God, there were so many submissions i looked through mm -hmm. them and i was like that is wacky i'm taking yeah. that one yeah yeah, yeah. I, so i'm definitely a, a masochist oh okay okay Sure, sure, sure. So uh, I do really like combining Strix with Beastkin as like a way to approximate being an Aarakocra, because like you said, Aarakocra are a feature of some of the Dungeons and Dragons settings, but you could play using the Pathfinder 2 rule systems with any of these other settings like Forgotten Realms or whatever other setting you like that uh, is Wizards of the Coast uh, owned. So like there could be Aarakocra in your world and the way that you choose to convert that and express that in the Pathfinder rules could be having all of them be Strix Beastkin. I feel like yeah. that would give you pretty much all of the ancestry features that you would want to see on an Aarakocra. Oh yeah, you've got the ancestry features, you've got mm -hmm. the complete physiology, right? It's basically, mm -hmm. <laughs> I know we said they're not one-to-one -one conversions, but that's pretty close. Yeah. So for my first conversion, I chose um, a submission from Kitty Mama 2007. Her display name is Kara Fidgets. And this is for Safia, a tabaxi circle of wildfire druid, multiclassed with three levels of fighter for Echo Knight. And then this character has the Outlander background. So this is a multiclassed character, and we're looking at two specific subclasses that we want to see if we can get onto this Pathfinder character. We have this Circle of Wildfire Druid, and then we have this Echo Knight Fighter. Uh, Circle of Wildfire Druid is kind of the easier of the two. It's like you're a fire druid, you get fire spells, you summon fire minions and stuff like that. So I, I feel like being 
druid for this character's base class because that's what they primarily are. And then just taking the flame order for druid because in Pathfinder 2, druids have uh, different orders they can pick, which is kind of similar to the way that the subclasses work in D&D, I guess. So you can pick like the animal order to get an animal companion, the flame order to get fire powers, the wild order to be a like a wild shape shape changer, or a stone order, storm order, or wave order are also kind of elemental spellcaster focused. So this character is still a druid, and we have the flame order for our druid order. Because Safia is a tabaxi, uh, tabaxi is specific to D&D, but we do have a catfolk ancestry that you can take. And then the outlander background was kind of like a, a wanderer between settlements kind of a situation. So I went with the nomad background. It seemed like it had kind of a similar flavor and it gave some useful uh, abilities for this character with a... Uh, the, the boost for the background is either constitution or wisdom, and either of those would be very useful on a druid character like this. So this, this fighter Echo Knight situation, though, is where we get uh, a little bit interesting with this build. So the Echo Knight, it looks like it's something from the Kryn setting, and it is a type of fighter where you can uh, teleport to swap places with a double of yourself. So you create like a duplicate of yourself and then you can teleport around swapping places with it. And I think I know where you're going with this. There's a couple places that you could go with this and I think I'm going in one that you don't expect. Okay, okay. Yeah, there's... This is going to sound wild, but there are I'm expecting multiple- Chrono Skimmer. I'm expecting oh. Chrono Skimmer. Yeah, th- this is going to sound wild, but there are a lot of ways that you can execute this concept in Pathfinder. Because well, 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 hold it on, turns hold on. out, are you that... saying there's a lot of ways to skin a tabaxi? Mm, uh, I, I'm not using those words, but yes. Okay, so what I chose to do for this character is, in fact, the Chrono Skimmer. You did call it. I knew it! I knew it! But there are a couple of different ways that you can go about this, because Pathfinder has a base class called the Thaumaturge, which is kind of like a a monster hunter martial class that is charisma-based, and they use their knowledge of monsters, and they're kind of just like uh, assorted magical items that they collect on their person, they're Nicky Knacks. Ex- yeah, 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 yeah. They they use all of all of their little their little collectibles to uh, discern the weaknesses of monsters and fight those monsters uh, by exploiting those weaknesses. And one of the ways you can build a thaumaturge is by picking uh, the mirror as your implement. And the mirror implement thaumaturge lets you create a double of yourself on the battlefield, and then you can. You essentially have two positions on the battlefield, so you can attack from either position. And like, if you need to make a decision, like essentially you are both 
figure, like it's not that you can switch places with the other one per se, but you functionally are both of them until it comes time for you to actually decide. Like if you want to move, you decide in that moment which of these two you are. But up until you actually have to make a decision, you are both of them. So you have two positions on the battlefield. So I, I did go in the chrono skimmer direction rather than the thaumaturge direction, but you could do a thaumaturge multiclass with the mirror implement as a great way to implement this Echo Knight flavor. Or just being a straight thaumaturge with the mirror implement is a good way to create uh, an Echo Knight fighter who wasn't also a druid. Real talk, this is one of the my most favorite things about mm-hmm. coming up with characters and making characters is, is figuring out like, you know, I've got all these different ways I could make this character concept be fleshed out. Yeah. Which one do, which one do I choose? Yeah. Like that's, that's so much fun. Yeah. So Kitty Mama 2007 said that Safia is a, a druid who is multi-classed with three levels of fighter though. So I'm interpreting that to mean that this character is primarily a druid and primarily a spellcaster. Because she was multi-classed into fighter, though, I feel like she would want to be a druid who can go into melee and who can fight and who can use this ability to change places on the battlefield as like an advantageous thing to uh, to control the battlefield there. So while I did give this character the flame order to represent the uh, the wildfire druid at first level, at second level, instead of going straight in with Chrono Skimmer, I gave this character Order Explorer, which is a feat that you can take to gain access to a second Druid Order. And for Safia's second Druid Order, I took the Wild Order so that this character can Wild Shape. So now this character has two different options for what they might want to do in combat. They could stay in like their their catfolk form and do all of their spell casting, or they could transform into like a big cat and then tear up the battlefield in melee. At level four, we do get into our chrono skimmer dedication for our archetype. And so what the chrono skimmer is, is it's an archetype that was introduced in Dark Archive where you become partially unstuck from time, and then you kind of have the ability to manipulate your place in the time stream. So the ability you get to start off with with your archetype is kind of uh, an ability to fuss with your initiative. But You become you Tracer get, from Overwatch. Yeah, yeah. But as you get further on into this archetype, uh, there is an eighth level feat called Superimposed Time Duplicates where once per hour for one action, you call alternate versions of yourself, either from a different timeline or perhaps yourself from a different point in your current timeline to aid you in combat. Until the start of your next turn, these alternate selves flicker in and out in your vicinity, providing flanking for you against all enemies within your reach. Flanking with your time duplicate is the same as flanking with an ally, and so it is subject to the effects like all-around vision or deny advantage class features. So that is a way for you to... It's not as, di- it's like it's not as direct an implementation as the Thaumaturge Mirror implement might have been, but it is kind of catching the spirit 
of like the flavor of what an Echo Knight was or like the the uh, the concept that it was imbuing this character with. And then the the last thing that I would really want to make sure that I took with this character uh, at 10th level, we've kind of skipped over a couple levels. It's not as important to the build, but at 10th level- Season to taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At 10th level, you get access to elemental shape, which is a feat that requires wild shape. And so this is a druid class feature where instead of only having the option to wild shape into some animals, you also can wild shape into some elementals. So, like wildfire elementals. Yeah. So Safia, the fire druid, can turn into like a giant fire elemental and then displace herself from time, flickering around the battlefield, fighting as this fire elemental, or just casting fire spells. You've got some real potent fireballs. What's interesting, too, is that if this group was using Freak type, you could then, you know, move a lot of that down. You get Chrono Scanner mm-hmm. at second level and still go into the Wild Order. I just yeah. love Freak type. You can just merge so much concept into one character without breaking the game. It's amazing. Yeah, Free Archetype gives you like more options for what you can do with your character, but the addition of having more feats from archetypes on a single character doesn't necessarily make them more powerful. Like it doesn't give you a bonus to your to your two hit or to your damage, or it doesn't give you access to higher levels of spells. It, it expands what you can do without really. It doesn't make you more powerful in the same way that like taking another level would. I guess, you know, this is a good time for a quick side note mm-hmm. where in 3.5 D&D in Pathfinder 1st Edition and in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, when you took a feat, a lot of times you would take the one that gives you plus two to hit or plus one to hit or plus hit points or something. That Those aren't the kinds of feats that we're talking about. Class feats or the things that you would get from like free archetype, these are things like you can use one of your spell slots for this now. Or you can now do this maneuver. These aren't necessarily giving you a mathematical bonus, but they might be giving you a tool to create your own mathematical bonus. Maybe, for example, maybe it's Chrono Skimmer might make it easier for you to move into a flanking position and then jump back out to safety real quick. You know, things like that. Yeah, in Pathfinder, you'll find that anything that is like essential for your class to function, like a wizard having spells or a fighter being able to hit real good, that stuff isn't what you will find in your class feats. That stuff is just in the base class. It's what you get automatically, and it always progresses with you no matter if you're taking an archetype or not. Any of the stuff that is just like a numerical bonus, you you don't have to worry about that decision it's it's right there. It's been picked for you. It's a part of your class. You have it. You can't screw this up. All of the options that you're going to see in your class feats are going to give you additional options for what you can do with your toolkit, but they won't... You don't have to worry about, like, is this going to make my character powerful, or is this underpowered? Is this good, or is this weak, which is the optimal option? Because... And anything that could be your optimal option, probably it's not a feat. It's just part of your class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, that's, that's what we're saying. It's really hard to ruin a character. All right. Now, do you got another get... character for me? 
Oh, I do, I do. And I'm slowly moving up the scale of, of complicated. This second one, right in the middle here. This is a little bit complicated, but it's still another concept. I, can, I, I feel like we can complete the whole concept at level one, despite it being kind of a lot. This is submitted by W. Roberts 316, and we have a name for this character. I think it's Kythax, a half-devil satyr, son of Meth... I can never say this. Oh, Mephistopheles? Mephistopheles. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It, it doesn't roll off my tongue. Son of Mephistopheles. A, and, and he says, Bardic Rogue with homebrew ability to use Archdevil power once per day on a four disc stress sale. Kind of got it figured out. Would like some help with the nuance. Well, my friend, I have got you. We can nuance this because Paizo doesn't have a satyr in, <laughs> in Tui. But, 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 uh, we do have a third party book from Necromancers of the Northwest. They put out a Tui satyr, and you can even get it on the Paizo store for a whole $2 USD. Very cheap, very affordable. Uh, and you can combine this with the tiefling. So you take satyr ancestry from the Paizo store, Necromancers Northwest, combine this with the tiefling versatile heritage boom half devil satyr done simple as now bardic rogue this is where it's like hmm, there's a lot of ways to skin a bardic rogue <laughs> that's my new thing uh we can be a bard and take rogue dedication we can be a rogue and at level two take bard dedication but i think there's an easier way to do this See, rogues have rackets in this edition. I'm a rogue, and, and rackets, they don't necessarily define your concept, but they do give suggestions for your concept. But the main thing that the racket does, for example, is the thief racket of rogue gets to add their dexterity to their damage when they're using roguey weapons that are like finesse or agile. Well, one of the rackets is an eldritch trickster. You know, your classic, like, I use Mage Hand to pick a pocket. But, but we don't have to use Mage Hand to pick pockets. We could. Eldritch trickster just says, hey, uh, a, a class that is a primary spellcasting class. You get it at first level as part of being a rogue. That dedication. And uh, it's a little bit easier to get into your spellcasting rogue feats later. So that means that we take Eldritch Trickster to get the Bardic Rogue. And now we are a rogue, and we get Bard Dedication at level 1. At level 2, we just keep going with the Bard. And, or, and we get the Magical Trickster feat at level 2 instead of 4. Boom. You're instantly blending your spells with Sneak Attack. This, this class is finished at level 1. Background, I don't know. You didn't tell me. <laughs> what background do you want? Season it to taste. But I, I definitely would recommend that you pick something which either has dexterity or charisma as part of your two choices. It, here in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, backgrounds will always give you two boosts. One is a free boost, so anything you want. If it, As long as it, you didn't just pick it with your second boost, which is one or another. So, for example, if we took... I'm just going to make something up. I don't remember one off the top of my head. If your background was, I don't know, uh, let's say wildlife biologist. You know, I don't know anyone like that. But if it was, maybe maybe your two boosts might be, um, let's see, charisma and intelligence. I think those are pretty good choices. <laughs> what do you think, Jess? That makes sense, right? That checks out, yeah. Uh, totally checks out. <laughs> 
so now the the last thing in here to, to finish this character is you do talk about having arch devil power once per day i'm not 100 what arch devil power is but i do know that with this build you would have full bardic spellcasting you could do something archdevilly, or you could use some of your ancestry feats, which you get not. I don't. It's not every three levels. Every five levels. Yeah, you get your ancestry feats every four levels. That's what it is, and you can use those on tiefling feats. So you can get some, you know, archdevil stuff from your tiefling stuff. Yeah, this is another character where there's like a lot of different ways that you could build this out, but I think ultimately the question comes down to what elements from bard and what elements from rogue are the ones that you really see as being iconic to this character because if this is a rogue who can cast some of those bard spells then i absolutely agree eldritch trickster uh with the uh the bard as the archetype that you pick that is amazing to execute this concept whereas if what you want from bard is mainly to be like the 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 one doing the inspire courage and the bard songs not just the spell casting and like the bard is really core to the concept but then you want that little bit of rogue just taking the rogue archetype is going to get you the whole way there blank with rogue is literally mm-hmm. the jess special it is though and i love it rogues are easily my favorite class which is why I never play them, because I don't want to get stuck in the rut of all I play as rogues, but it also makes me miss playing rogues so much. They're, oh my god, I love a good rogue. Well, my next What's your next one, Jess? My next character that I'm converting is not a rogue. This is not a good segue at all. Uh, so I have a submission from Brian Leet. He says, one of my players is an ancient wooden warforged sorcerer, level two, faceless background, so this is a warforged who can't remember their own purpose. They use a homebrew magic mask to pass as an elf. They're proficient with short sword, and they mostly cast sleep, mage armor, and chaos bolt. Oh, this one's exciting. I can't wait to see yeah. what you do with this. So the first thought that I had was just sadness that Pathfinder 2 doesn't have the, the weirwood yet. So the Weirwood was an ancestry and first edition Pathfinder that were magical intelligent constructs resembling humanoids uh, that were like created out of wood. Hmm. And so they were they were like wood construct people, and that would have been perfect for this kind of ancient wooden warforged situation. Because we don't have that though, I just went with uh, an ancestry that was introduced in Pathfinder Guns and Gears, the Automaton. Yes, that's like my favorite. I was hoping you would do that. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, is she going to go with the Gorin or is it going to be the Automaton? The Gorin are also an option. They're in impossible lands and they're kind of more explicitly plant people. And mm-hmm. then the other option that would have worked for this is the Konrasu oh, yes. in Wangi Expanse. But the Kanrasu are a little bit, uh, they're they're flavored a little bit with kind of like lawful planar energy. And so what a Kanrasu is, is they are like an orb of energy and then like rocks and vines and stuff form around them. And they kind of build 
like a body for themselves to interact with the world around them out of like plant matter that they collect. And a Kanrasu can be shaped really like anything because it is just like shaping itself around its central orb. And if but, you look up images of a Kanrasu, mm-hmm. you will see what it just means by they can look like anything. Yes. Most of them are just like weird, wide statue looking things without legs, you know, like just mounds of like plant matter. The Kanrasu are really, really cool, but they're a little bit more specific than the automaton is. So I went with the automaton because that, that felt like uh, without injecting my own ideas about the direction that this character's uh, backstory might be headed. The the automaton is kind of the most neutral option. And so there are a couple of different heritages for the automaton, but I just went with the hunter automaton. Uh, and so... <gasps> Jess, is, are there any books coming out soon that might have a, you know, I don't know, an ancestry that or a versatile heritage that is reminiscent of wood? Actually, there is. See, there's this book uh, coming out called Rage of Elements. Do you know anything about that book, Jess? I mean, I certainly worked on it. I can't really confirm which sections were mine, but Rage of Elements is uh, as an elemental-focused book that is introducing two new elemental planes, the plane of wood, uh, the plane of wood and the plane of metal. It is going to have wood genie kin and metal genie kin and so like that would be a way to give any ancestry including the automaton kind of a a wooden flavor just sprinkled right on there that's really cool yeah for the time being though the hunter automaton uh just increases your land speed by five feet uh it also lets you choose whether you want to be uh in a bipedal form or a quadrupedal form so like you can walk around as like a robot cat which is really awesome i do like robot cat yeah robot cat is the best okay so we are an automaton uh we have this faceless background where we can't remember our own purpose pathfinder does have an amnesiac background so you're covered there and then Sorcerer, yeah, we have a sorcerer. Now, we do need to pick a bloodline for our sorcerer, though. Hmm. And because we have this kind of uh, ancient wood forest kind of theme going on, and we know that this character casts the sleep spell, uh, I decided to go with uh, the Fae bloodline. Ooh. I feel like Fae is kind of an unexpected choice for an automaton or a warforged, but that could be, like, really interesting, right? I was going to predict Imperial, just based on the word ancient alone. Yes, Imperial would also be good. And ultimately, I think the main thing that you would want to think about deciding between, like, the Fae bloodline or the Imperial bloodline is which spell list you want to be casting spells from. Because the oh, Imperial yeah, spell right. list will have you casting from the Arcane spell list, which is the spell list that wizards get. And so like a 5th edition uh, sorcerer does have the same spell list as a wizard, whereas a Pathfinder sorcerer has a spell list that depends on their bloodline. So if you wanted the Fey bloodline, you would cast from the Primal spell list, which is like all of the Druid spells. And so that would give you those kind of like nature 
wood plant kind of themed spells on your character, even though they are a sorcerer. So the next thing that's going on with this character is that they have a mask that lets them pass as an elf. And so what I decided to do with this character at level two was take the Vigilante dedication. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, so the Vigilante is, it's a dedication that was introduced in the Advanced Player's Guide, and it lets you have two different identities that you can switch between. No item required, though you could have a magic item that helps you in your disguise if you wanted that as a, like a part of the fantasy of the character. But with the Vigilante dedication, this uh, automaton Warforged Sorcerer has their kind of, their regular automaton identity, and then they also have this elf identity that they can assume and move around as, and the game is going to give you some abilities through your Vigilante dedication where, like, spells that maybe detect things about you using, like, divination, like, uh, detect thoughts or detect alignment, your, your Vigilante disguise is going to let you kind of evade those, and they will treat you like you really are this second identity it'll make it harder for people to see through your disguise this seems like it came together really well yeah i I only went to level two on this one because there was just no need to go further everything was uh yeah yeah and so like if you were doing free archetype you could take vigilante as your free archetype but you could also just take it as your second level feat you don't need free archetype to play this character now does the primal spellist get like sleep the primal spell list. I think Faye does, right? Yeah. Like as I as I recall. Oh no, Faye gets charm. That's what it is. I thought I had picked spells for this character, but apparently I did not. <laughs> That's alright. The player picked them out for us. We've got Sleep, Mage Armor, and Chaos Bolt. Now if I don't remember perfectly in 5th edition. If Chaos Bolt is like you deal chaos damage to lawful creatures, then that would, that's actually a divine spell, isn't it, in this edition? Uh, sleep and Mage Armor you're mainly going to find on like the Arcane list, but I believe they're on the Occult list as well, which is the list that Bards cast oh, with. Yeah. Oh, chaos, yeah. Chaos Bolt is a spell that we don't exactly have like an equivalent for in Pathfinder. Uh, it's kind of like a low-level prismatic spell where it does random effects. We have higher-level oh, yeah, things like that's that. Right. And we do, that's right. we do have higher-level like rays that do random things too. But they start around, I think, like level three or level four. There isn't anything at level one that really does that. So I, I feel like the closest thing to the vibe of Chaos Bolt at first level is just going to be... I have an idea. There's a... There's a, there's a, I think it's a primal elf or maybe it's a human ancestry feat at like level one where you can get a cantrip that does like an elemental damage, but it does like, mm-hmm. you know, it's acid splash, but just flavored as all these different ways, right? There's I'm not going to say, cantrips. yeah, yeah, I'm that not going to say we mess thing. around with acid splash because it's trash, but that'd be really, that'd be like a really easy, like, you know, quick thing. Like you just pick like produce flame or you pick one of the cantrips and you say every time you roll it. You have to randomize which element it is. That'd be really easy to reflavor. Yeah. All right. The the one that I was thinking of that I for some reason blanked on, it's this is like the second most famous spell in all of Dungeons and Dragons after 
fireball so i i don't understand Ma- how this just like, magic escaped. magic missile jess okay okay fine it's the third most famous oh it's color spray I th- oh yeah color spray yeah I, I don't know why i blank on color spray but anyway i feel like the vibe of chaos bolt of being kind of like an unpredictable prismatic random thing is it's not executed really in like the mechanics of it but in like just going on vibes just going on vibes and then color spray yeah that's pretty good a lot of options here yeah you would want to take the um the imperial bloodline if you wanted to do the color sprays color spray sleep and magic mage Mm -hmm. armor yeah yeah well because this was a a fifth edition sorcerer so they were working off of the arcane list at that time that's true that's true they didn't really have the options you know yeah so you know there's really there's so much room here to flavor your character into however you like it we can get you the one-to-one conversion as jess has demonstrated but there's also all these other ways you can expand the character if you're so interested now my next one is uh I mean, I felt like I wrote an entire thesis just to get this one together. This was tough, and that's kind of why I picked it. Uh, From user Trash Artificer, this is an Unearthed Arcana Cloud Goliath with the Acolyte background, Gloomstalker Ranger 5, Moon Druid 7, Rune Knight Fighter 3, with feats telepathic resilient... And the gimmicks are kind of just to uh, get real big, protect the party, throw and grapple enemies, heal, and just use some general utility stuff. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on here. And I think I've got it. This took me a while. I can get you most of this concept completed by level two, but it really steps into what it is presented here at level eight which is rare in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Most characters I can make work by level 2, but we might have to hit 8 for this. So here's what we're going to do. Let's start with uh, Cloud Goliath. In the first party, strictly Paizo stuff, we we don't have it yet. We don't have Giant Kin yet. I feel like this is something that's probably coming, and it was definitely a thing in 1st Edition. Uh, So if you really just needed to be 1st party I think that I would take the versatile heritage Oriad or Sylph, depending on how gianty you want to be. Oriad for more like Earth and Earth part, or probably more Sylphal, really, to get more of the cloud giant part. And I'd slap it on an ancestry that can get a bonus to strength. <laughs> maybe human, maybe orc, and I'd just I'd just flavor it as being giant kin. Like I said, the first party option, this isn't a great fit yet, but we have a better, we have a better option. Uh, there's a, a third party creator, Improfit, who put out the giant kin ancestry, and one of the heritages on there is Cloud Giant. Another heritage on there is just straight up Goliath, or, you know, Hill Giant kin. But this is, this is an option, and this one's free, it's on Pathfinder Easy Tools, I believe. Uh, so yeah, using a third-party source, you can get Cloud Goliath all day. No problem. So now let's kind of break down all the things that we have going on in this class so that we can figure out how to rebuild it in second edition. We have Gloomstalker, okay? Well, you you stalk the deep, dark places under the earth, right? You have utility spells, you have some spells at hunt, you kind of have an, a, an initiative bonus, and you get really good dark vision and you can be a little even sneakier than most sneaky people in the darkness 
moon druid or the circle of the moon. These are just the druids that shapeshift better than the other druids who shapeshift, which in 5th edition is all druids. All druids are shapeshifters. In 2e, not all druids are shapeshifters. You kind of have to want to do that. Uh, but, you know, so as a moon druid, we're going to have druid spells. We're going to shapeshift. And the rune knight fighter... At first, I was thinking, I was confusing this. When I first read this, I was thinking, well, this is Eldritch Knight, right? It's not. This isn't Eldritch Knight. This is this is a fighter that uses the magic from the runes of giants to enhance the combat. So here's how we make this work. We put our giant kin ancestry with cloud giant heritage in. Done. Background acolyte. We have that. Done. Class. I'm thinking we're going to stick with Druid here because Druid is one of the most versatile classes in second edition, surprisingly. The question is, which order do we take? And this is where you're going to kind of have to season to taste. Wild order gives you wild shape, but the caveat here is that wild shape in Pathfinder is pretty much you take your humanoid form and you change it into a form that is an animal or a form that is an elemental, or a form that is an insect. You don't really have a lot of hybrid forms in between, and you don't really have a lot of you use your shapeshift to get big. Luckily, you don't necessarily need that. You're a full-time druid spellcaster. You'll always have the best level spells druids get, which means you can cast in large as many times as you like. You get big whenever you want to. It doesn't matter. The order I like for this, which adds a little bit into your character that I don't know that you had here, was I like Storm Order because Storm and Clouds, you know, that kind of fits. Like the Cloud Giant, I think, is represented in Storm Order a little bit better. And this gives you a sick-ass lightning attack. You know, if you want lightning attacks. Now, to get into the telekinetic thing, I'm uh, the telekinesis, I'm actually going to lean into that earlier. I'm going to take it second level. I'm going to pick the archetype dedication psychic class tangible dream because the tangible dream psychic gives you access to a shield spell cantrip, which you can already use for your allies. Unlike other people who use a shield spell cantrip when anybody else uses it, it's for them. When you use it, who do you want it to go to? In addition to that, the special thing about the psychic is that you can boost up your cantrips to make your already better cantrips even more better still. So you can use a focus point to take your shield spell. You give it boom, 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 three layers of thickness so you can block with it three different times before your cantrip spell expires. So it's, it's I, I really like this for it. In Pathfinder 2nd Edition, after you've picked up an archetype dedication, though, you have to take two feats from that chain before you can pick up a new dedication. So we're locked into at least two more psychic feats before we go into something else. I'm picking basic psychic spellcasting because more spells, but like, you know, from your mind, you can make these as utility as you like. I also took side development at six levels so that you can either, well, hold on, we can take side development or we can just take any of the feats from the psychic class. But what side development lets you do is I would say you could take an improved version of Dancing Lights, but that's about to be negated. So let's just pretend like that's not a thing. Or you can summon a sonic melee weapon kind of as a cantrip. So just like, oh, look, I'm not holding anything. I'm not holding anything. Boom, psychic hammer. You know, you can do that if you want to. I think that's really cool. And then now that we have our two psychic feats out of the way, at eighth level, we can take our second dedication 
and I'm going ahead and I'm picking Shadow Dancer to hit some of these notes of Gloomstalker. Ooh. Yeah, I really wanted some of these darkness notes of Gloomstalker. I've, at first, I ran with a lot of different dedications here to make this work. My first choice was actually Shadow Caster, which just augments whatever kind of spellcaster you are and then gives you more shadow spells. I'm going with Shadow Dancer, though. Even though it's going gonna, it's gonna to ask you to be an expert in some kind of performance. I'm sorry, you got to pick a kind of performance. Maybe you're just a master speaker if you don't really want to do songs and dance, right? But you do have to be an expert in some kind of performance, a master in stealth, but this gives you greater dark vision. It gives you a bonus to stealth in the darkness. Literally the exact two things that Gloomstalker's like, here you go, this is what you have. And then after that, you can take, you can keep going with feats from the Shadow Dancer to get additional shadow magic or shadow illusion feats or some shadowy utility spells. Or you can just keep going down the psychic path and just keep taking, adding more spells that way. There's all kinds of stuff you can do with this. You And the way this works is you'll always be that fully leveled druid, always have access to the highest amount of druid spells. You get all the enlarge you want. You get all the heal you want so you can protect your allies and heal and have utility spells. And the grapple monster part, that part about you grabbing people and throwing them, that's just, that's just skill feats in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. You can just, at every even level, you get a skill feat in addition to your class feat. You can just pick Titan Wrestler and all the wrestling ones. Or if you wanted to go even harder into that, you can swap out one of these other two, Psychic or Shadowcaster, if you're not feeling like you need it. And you can just straight up go with, oh, I don't know, the Wrestler Dedication. Or if you really want to get into it, you can just take it as a third dedication. You'll have to be 14th level or higher with this build I've presented because that is when you would have your your second of the feats from the Shadow Dancer chain. Or if you had access to human ancestry feats for some reason, there are a few ways to do it. You could then take the free multi-class dedication at 9th level to take yeah to get into this. Whew, let me catch my breath for a minute. This was yeah. a complicated character, but I think we got through it. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. And I feel like some of some of the stuff that you have here for the Pathfinder version of this character might even be executing some of these concepts better. Like if telepathic was just yeah. yeah if telepathic was just a feat before, but like you can entirely take the psychic dedication and a bunch of psychic feats to like really get in there with that psychic theme yeah, yeah. it was a feat and correct me if i'm wrong listeners please correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure that the telepathic feat just lets you like mentally communicate with people around you that's just message that's just yeah, a cantrip that's, that's just message <laughs> yeah so like if you you know you dip into if all you want is that mm -hmm. then you can then after you have your other archetypes in out of the way you can just throw one psychic on and mm -hmm. go back to the other stuff you know yeah and like you can also decide like which parts of this concept are the most important parts that you want to translate mm -hmm. because 
Like the message spell might not appear on the primal cantrip list, but this is an area where if you didn't want to take an entire like dedication, because it's just a cantrip, there are various um, ancestries or other options that you can take that give you access to uh, a single cantrip. Like there are other ways to just get that kind of telepathic message ability onto your character without devoting the entire psychic archetype to it. And so if you wanted to focus more on the grappling, you could spend uh, an ancestry feat on getting access to the message cantrip and then go straight into wrestler. Or you could take the order explorer druid feat so that you could be both the storm druid and the, uh, the wild druid. That's, you know, I didn't even think about that. That's really true, though, is is if the tele- if the telepathy is, you know, most of it, like, yeah, there's a lot of just simple first level ancestry feats that get that done. So a lot you could play with, a lot of season to taste, but I think that what I've presented here in this ramble. <laughs> it's very it, cool. It's you, very cool. And it's just a testament to like how uh, modular and versatile the system is, that there are so many different ways to execute the same extremely specific list of character features from a different game. And that's why I wanted to... That's that's why I picked this character. Mm-hmm. So, so thank you, Trash Artificer. It was a headache for about an hour there, but I figured it out. <laughs> And I hope it's demonstrated that you can pretty much do anything in 2E. Yeah, so for my last character that I converted, uh, Jam Ruiz 333 said, I've been wanting to play a fathomless warlock, Water Genasi, but I haven't been able to play. I would like to know if a setup like that is possible in Pathfinder. And you know what? Ruiz put out the call that uh, they want to play a Genasi, and here I am, I'm answering the call. Can you play a Genasi? Yes. Uh, someone named Jessica Redekop did in fact write the uh, the Genie Kin, which are the Genasi of Pathfinder. Wait, you wrote the, those? I wrote that. I wrote their second edition implementation in the Advanced oh, Player's Guide. That's like my favorite. Oh, they're my favorite too. That's why I, I uh, brawled in the parking lot over the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was I was very passionate about getting this assignment. <laughs> I I love the genie kin and the genasi so much. Like the first time I opened the uh, the third edition, like not the three point five, the three point Forgotten Realms campaign setting, and I saw like the artwork spreads for all of the different races of the Forgotten Realms, and one of the spreads was the four genasi and the tiefling and the Asimara. That was so cool. That was so cool. Immediately, like these are the coolest things in the book. Yeah. And the other nice thing about this character that you've picked is we're finally getting to, I think, the biggest question. At the one that everybody asks us. Everybody. We had to, we, you and I had to work and plan to make sure we didn't only convert warlocks. Yeah. Now is the time, Jess. We are converting a warlock. Yeah. Everybody wants to know, how do I convert my warlock? There's no warlock in Pathfinder. Well, there are several different options. But for this particular character, I decided to go with Witch. But we'll we'll get to that. First, I want to talk about this Water Genasi. Because Ruiz's character is not just a Water Genasi. Ruiz says, 
uh, Fathomless Warlock Water Genasi. And the Fathomless Warlock is kind of like a the terrors of the deep sea. Like, it's dark down there, it's spooky, there's weird-looking angler fish, like, it's... There's all yeah, kinds of like so cool. Yeah, and like a little tinge of like maybe there's abolis down there, there's some aberrations, like it's a it's a real spooky time down there, right? In D&D, when you are a water genasi, you're just a you're just a water genasi. That's your race. That's it. In Pathfinder, the water genie kin, the undine, is a versatile heritage that you can take on any base ancestry, and that includes the fetchling. Oh my god, that is so cool. I didn't even consider throwing that on a fetchling. Oh yeah. So the fetchlings are from the plane of shadow and they're like spooky shadow people, right? And so this is, you know, you're you have your undine heritage, so you are like a water genasi but you're also a spooky shadow person. So you're spooky shadow, bottomless depths. Uh, it's, it's dark down there. You are, you are both of these kind of flavors combined into what your like ancestry heritage is. You are like a, a shadowy undine. I'm going to, I'm literally going to build this in path builder and just hold on to this character. Cause this is so cool. Chef's kiss, Jess, or, or s- seafood chef's kiss, sushi set chef's kiss. Okay, so let's talk about the witch, because I decided which was the avenue I wanted to pursue for the class of this character. So there are a couple of different options that you can take for what you want. Like, you're, So uh, for a warlock, you have your... Um, you have your warlock pact. You have your warlock patron, oh, and right, that pact. flavors the kind of um, the kind of warlock you are. Witches have the same kind of thing. The flavor of a witch is very similar. You are making a pact with an entity, and then you pick uh, from a list of pacts uh, or, or like patron themes what kind of uh, witch you want to be. And so, Ruiz says uh, this fathomless warlock, which is like a a spooky bottom of the sea kind of a thing. And so Pathfinder doesn't have a water patron. It does have the night patron, which is kind of like a a darkness and dreams thing. But in um, a third party book from Team Plus called Witches Plus, they introduce a bunch uh, of additional third party patrons. And so in Witches Plus, there is a sea patron that you can take, but because this was like the the fathomless, right? Like this wasn't just water. This is like spooky. I do think that spooky the direction water. of night is pushing a little bit more in that direction, but in Witches Plus, there is also the void patron. Hmm. And so this is your granted, uh, your powers are granted to you from the beyond by an entity of the void between the stars. And so this so is love, kind of- So Cthulhu. Yeah, this is that kind of like Aboleth at the bottom of the ocean kind of theme that I read into the Fathomless Warlock. I think I like the void one best. That's really mm-hmm. cool. So, like, depending on what it was exactly that you wanted to get out of the Fathomless uh, Warlock, you do have 
options that you could go. Like just straight first party, you could do night, and that still has the kind of like darkness and dreams themes, kind of like a, a night hag kind of thing, but you can flavor it to be like the, the horrors that lurk at the bottom of the ocean very easily. There's also kind of more general ones, like you could just have the, the curse patron, which could be themed to uh, the, the same kind of themes as the Fathomless. There is um, winter, which isn't water or the sea per se, but it's still a little bit aquatic. But for me, I think that Voids from this, uh, the, the Witches Plus third-party product is really, really good. For background for this character, if we're really pushing this kind of theme of the warlock where you're like contacted from an entity and it's spooky and this and that, right? There is an Eidolon contact background. And so an Eidolon is kind of the, um, uh, an extraplanar creature that the summoner class uses, but you can take the Eidolon contact background where you've come in contact with a being that is an Eidolon and you forge kind of like a conduit with it so that you're, you're not a summoner yourself, but you can kind of uh, uh, manifest this Eidolon as though you were. And so I think it would be cool if this Eidolon contact that you have is kind of like a, a spooky bottom of the sea beyond the stars aberration kind of a theme and that it's also the same entity as your familiar. Because in Pathfinder 2, your familiar is your connection to your patron. And your, your familiar is how your patron teaches you spells, and they act kind of like a, a living spell book. But I think that the, the flavor of kind of combining this like spooky Eidolon contact flavor with your, your familiar would be very fun. Now, Jess, how do you address the elephant blast in the room? I just don't think it's important for this character. I mean, there are a bunch of different ways that you could implement it in Pathfinder uh, First Edition. And we talked about it in our, our previous episode of some of the options for different ways you could do this. And I think if I really thought that Eldritch Blast were important to this character, I probably would have made them a Magus instead of a Witch. Because then, like, you would... It's still not exactly the same, but you can do your, yeah. your spell strike. Yeah. And you can always, you know, go Magus Witch or Witch Magus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I could be I could be misreading the community of fifth edition, but I've always felt like you guys, you folks who come from fifth edition, I've always felt like you guys thought that the warlock was basically the class that has Eldritch Blast. <laughs> That's the only reason I ask. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I feel like for this character, it's very much this kind of like bottom of the sea flavor, right? And so it's the the spooky entity from beyond lurking at the bottom of the ocean. And I mean, it, it is possible that Eldritch Blast is really important to this character, but because it's kind of just like, this isn't a character that Ruiz has played, it's just kind of a concept and the concept really only exists as uh, the idea of being this fathomless warlock and being a water genasi. I think the spirit 
of that concept is captured by being oh, for um, sure. a fetchling oread witch with the void patron. And since the Pathfinder 2 witches all have a familiar, it'd be so cool to see like any of those deep sea critters, you know? Like the anglerfish as you're familiar, a spy a Japanese spider crab as you're familiar, a gulper eel. Oh, I could go on. I could go on. Dumbo octopus. Imagine the Dumbo octopus. Okay. I gotta quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I love it. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I'm definitely going to put this build into my path builder and just save it because this is <laughs> really good. So that's all that we've converted today. We might consider converting more characters if there was interest in it. That's just something that I don't really use uh, the social media very much, but I know that Jess is a social media icon, or at least you're an icon to me. So please, oh. please... Uh, tweet everything you need to tweet at Jess about, about the characters that you want us to convert next, and maybe we'll get to those. Jess, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, my final thought is that you're cursing me. You're cursing my experience on Twitter.com. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, I, I do think, though, like a lot of these builds were submitted to us as characters that people are already playing, and so they're they're at whatever level it is that they are in their game and we advanced them to higher levels in order to kind of execute these higher level concepts but i think that if you were going to switch from fifth edition to pathfinder even if you're going to continue your same campaign and even if it's a campaign where the characters are higher level it might still be worth it to start playing the characters at first level even if it's just in like flashback sessions or something like that just so that you can learn how all of your different abilities work in Pathfinder 2 and you're not kind of floundering at level 8 trying to figure out what all of this stuff on your character sheet is. You know, that's a really good idea. I love the, the idea of like flashback sessions or like you're playing out the prequel to your to your current game before you catch up to it, you know? Yeah. That'd be, that's a really good idea. So I know that this now I'm going to bring up something that I don't think <laughs> very I don't think two people agree on. Uh, it's it's should you start with free archetype in your game? And I know I think I'm on the on the side that is maybe a little bit less represented among de mostly developers. So I'm probably just wrong. But I think you should use the free archetype. It's fun, I and I think I think you should experiment with what your character build looks like with or without it but i do think it's a good idea to play the game just as it's written first and then expand into alternate rules and optional rules uh, once you kind of have a, a feeling for what it's like to play pathfinder 2 just the way that it's written his free archetype isn't necessarily going to make your characters more powerful. It's not going to break your game. It's not going to muck too much with like uh, the encounter building rules or the monster building rules. Like all of that stuff will still work. But on the other hand, if you've never played Pathfinder two without free archetype, then you don't actually know if you want it or not. Mm hmm. Yeah. I. <laughs> I. Those of us who have played without it, we remember what it was like. <laughs> back in the days before free archetype i won't go back i won't it's fine to prefer it but i do think that you should know what you're comparing it against instead of starting mm -hmm. with it and only playing with it no for sure that's a it's a strong argument to be made 
Now, one of the nice things about this is we've we've demonstrated like these six characters, but in case you want to, in case you're wondering if your character could be converted from fifth edition into 2e or or maybe you feel like well maybe mine just wouldn't work it, it is true that pf that pathfinder and D share a common lineage so most of the character options that you're probably familiar with we have these most of them in pf2 even if they're not yet first party it might be in pathfinder infinite might be on the easy tools might be on the paizo store so you know we have these options it's just the, the systems are going to implement them in in different ways yeah, like Tiefling being a race in Pathfinder 1st Edition or D&D 5th Edition, whereas it's a heritage for any ancestry in Pathfinder, or like we were saying before, the Arcane Archer is an archetype anyone can take instead of just a subclass for the fighter. Stuff like this that was kind of like core to D&D 3rd Edition is stuff that is... Uh, evolved, developed, grown, is part of is part of the, the blueprint of both games. And most of that kind of stuff is, is shared in common between the two of them. So have our conversions made you a 2E convert? Because that's all we have for you today. Make sure to check out the rest of our content on the No Direction Network. If you like this show or any of our other blogs or shows, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash no direction because it's the support of our patrons that make this all possible. Until next time, I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. And thank you for listening to Legend Lore. As always, we have attempted to learn useful legends about a particular subject.